Hello, it's Denise from Women Beyond a Certain Age. I'm overexcited this morning because our guest, who was sent to us from an incredible like podcast coordinator, connector, and our guest today is Michelle Arpin Begina. Did I pronounce that correctly, Michelle? You did. I think it's a harder G, Bagina. And I always oh. joke. I, I dated my husband for six months before I dare asked him, how do you really say that name? Why does that that resonates with me also? <laughs> now, thank you so much for being here today. Um, as always, Cindy is our unseen engineer, but I have to be honest with you, Michelle. I got your information. Michelle, by the way is gonna to talk to us about women and money today, which is a huge subject. And she has so many great things to tell us. And probably we're gonna ask Michelle to come back after the first of the year, um, when people are fresh, do you know what I mean? And you'll talk again and give us some easy tips for women. But let me just tell you what I know, Michelle, and I'll ask you a question or two. I read everything about you. I went to your website. I listened to one or two other podcasts you had done. So much of it resonated with me and I need to tell you why. I'm 70 years old. I grew up in a world where my mother did not work. My father was the provider, okay? And there was, I mean, and also I was taught my entire life to never talk about money, okay? It was vulgar, it was in poor taste. Don't ask about money. Well. I got, I got married, I got divorced when I was 29 years old. And I realized that I was gonna have to support myself because I didn't think I'd ever get married again. And I realized I had to talk about money. And- This is the best of us. <laughs> oh, please. So, you know, this is almost what, 50 years ago or 40 years ago now, but I'm gonna tell you society, I don't think, the culturally, we were not prepared for this. Do you know what I mean? And I can't tell you the times that having to negotiate, and in my career, I ended up negotiating for money every single day of my life. Um, mm -hmm. I wish I'd, I wish I'd known you then. I think it could have relieved some of my anxiety, but also I actually had guilt that I was ballsy enough to talk about money. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. and even was offensive to some people who thought I was too ballsy to talk about money. So you have to tell us, Michelle, after that long introduction, but again, I'm, I have ADD and I'm overly excited. Um, they would have given me <laughs> when I was a kid if they'd had them then. Here's what I want you to do. Please just tell us how you got on this path because it's mm -hmm. fascinating. Oh, thank you. Uh, first, I have to tell you, Dee, I love your enthusiasm, and I love that you just poured your stories, your story about money into this podcast, because there's so much about what you just said that makes sense to me around, you know, your mom didn't work, your dad was the breadwinner, and we are literally taught not to talk about money. Like, we're taught that the right thing is not to talk about it, <laughs> and we don't what I'm part of what I'm up to in the world is actually to teach people how to talk about it. And it's not something that we need to stand on the rooftops and shout about. It's something very different than that. Let me answer your question, Denise, which is, you know, how did this all start? For me, it started at a really early age where I became aware that my parents had emotions, a lot of feelings around their money. And what I 
I'm fond of saying is growing up witnessing the epic arguments that went on between my parents around their financial decisions, which were very different from one another. It was like breathing in secondhand smoke that, you know, you don't realize the ramifications of that until many, many years later. For me, it was like post-traumatic stress, which, you know, one form of post-traumatic stress is when you can't avert your eyes from the television screen and you keep watching the same horrible event again and again and again. What was once explained to me is that the reason we do something like that is because our minds can't believe what our eyes are seeing. So we watch it again because we're looking for it to be different. I think I went through a little post-traumatic stress. I kind of always felt like the observer listening to and watching my parents and all of the financial shenanigans that went, went on. And there were a couple of things. One, I kept wanting it to be better. I was a kid. I saw my parents at their highest and best. They are good people. They worked hard. They were in a really, really successful business. They just could not get their financial act together. But I remember being a kid going, man, you guys have all the ingredients to like do this thing right. And I just was a kid who didn't have the knowledge or the skills, but just loved her parents and wanted things to be better for them. And that was a huge driver for me of why I ultimately have come to do the work that I do is that I think there's that small part of me that gets to do for other people what I was in a position to do when I was seven and 10 years old. This is huge. And it, it actually, it makes me cry because, oh, that's just, it's incredible, Michelle. And it makes me cry because we also, we, I see, I think we're children for a very long time. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I, <laughs> yes. I, mean, I think we're always, there's always a child still in there trying to uh-huh. either, as you just described, fix things or looking for things. Do you know what I mean? I recently, and this is just, I don't want to pull you off because you're going to, I need you to go right back to what you were saying about your parents. But because I retired, see, I loved my job, Michelle. I loved making money. I, I think money's a way you keep track that you're winning. Okay. I know that's not, for me, that really worked. I was so, yep. so to retire. So I always thought as I got older and I got good at money, it was a game to me. So as I retired and all of a sudden you took the money out of my equation. So where's my fun? Not only did I love my job, but where's my fun? So I said this to Cindy, in the last few years, I bought myself a bicycle again. I bought myself Mm. a doll I had as a child and just a few clothes. I fool with her hair. I know it sounds ridiculous and I haven't admitted that to anyone. But I'm looking for things. I walk my dogs more. I'm looking for things I loved as a child. Mm, That's so awesome. Flying a kite. You know, I said to my husband, let's go do this. He goes, we've lived near the beach for 12 years. Why do we have to go to the beach today to fly a kite? I said, because the five-year-old in me wants to fly a kite. So (laughs) I think it negatively and positively, we're always working with that child. Yes. Well, I, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get us off track here for a second, but there's something called the cryon return. And it's, it's a part of astrology that somebody explained to me once that uh, when we're born, the, here's the theory, when we're born, there's a planet that is the farthest away from, the, from us on the day that we're born. 
And there's one day in our life, one day only, where that planet circles and is now the nearest planet in our life. And how it can manifest is in things like going back to what did I love being and doing when I was a young girl? So it could have been your cry on return. And the what I see with a lot of women is a return to self happens as we get older. And I'll see it in people who quit the big corporate job and go into consulting because they want to do something that's more aligned with their soul and their purpose, or they just want to brand themselves and they don't want to represent anyone else. They are fully uh, who they are and they want to be her fully who they are in the world. So that's what you just made me think about. And I think a lot of that has to do with how we handle money, because you do need to make a return trip, whether it's the cry on return or you just decide yourself consciously, it's healthy to make a return trip to thinking about how was money while I was growing up? What did I learn to believe from it? What have I challenged in my life or what am I going to challenge in my life now? What attitudes have I picked up and what behaviors have I created as a result of all of all of that. So everything that we're talking about, for whatever reason, my radar was always really tuned to this kind of a channel. And I'm sure it came first from observing my parents. And what I always say is I turned a morbid obsession into a profession. So I'm a very big believer, at least the way my life has turned out, that I've, take, I've taken some of my suffering and turned it into service, right? So there are a lot of people who take the lessons and then they do something to impart it to other people. And I think one of the things that I'm really up to is really two things, helping people to transcend their money beliefs. And the other is how to actually talk about money. When I say transcending money beliefs, I learned a couple of years ago, right? We know about Maslow and hierarchy of needs yeah. as a human. Well, I always thought that the highest level was self-actualization. And I learned a few years ago that the highest level, according to Maslow, was self-transcendence. He had intertwined those two things. And he, a few years before he passed away, he was starting to put, put that distinction out into the world. But he suffered a heart attack and did not live long enough to popularize that. So a lot of people still think it's self-actualization which is fully coming into yourself. Self-transcendence is when you go far beyond what you ever thought was possible. It's not transformation, it's beyond transformation. So when you get to the point where you can transcend your money beliefs, not only are you living in full alignment with who you are, now you're operating on a level where you're impacting the world with your financial choices and decisions. So that's, and, and you don't get to that unless you can narrow in what those beliefs are, conscious or subconscious, to then overcome them so that you can transcend them. Because everything we do, we know we're all connected and related. Everything we do is going to have an impact on another human being, financially speaking, too. Michelle, before you came on the Zoom call, Cindy said, oh, I love those glasses. I don't I had cataract surgery, so I don't have to wear my glasses much, but these are my computer screen glasses. And I said to Cindy, oh, I put them on because I need to look smart to Michelle because she's so smart. 
I said, I've listened. I, I stopped you for the last couple of days. I'm so glad I have my glasses on because they're helping me think and be smart like you. I'm not kidding. They make me focus. What you, too much. No, what you just said is so important. And oh, which is why, and I think going back to what you do with people, see if people can never get ahead or they're living paycheck to paycheck. And, I, and I've done that. You know, I did that a few times in my career. Oh, my God. Between husbands, as I always said. And then I and then I got good at money. But mm -hmm. it's paycheck to paycheck or or thinking paycheck to paycheck. I always said to people, I've been broke, but I'm really rich. And I feel that way in my life because I have mm -hmm. there are some days I was broke. But most of the time, money or not, I've known I was really rich. So that mm. helped me then focus on the money part of it, if that makes sense. Yes. It makes total sense. And this is probably the time I should drop the bomb on your audience if they haven't Please. heard the story. <laughs> I, you have to. Yeah, I've got a few of them. So uh, there's a story within a story to the story. Uh, I'll cut to the chase. When, when I was growing up, I was told you're smart, I wore glasses back then too. You're smart. You'll be the first to go to college. Every indication was my parents were going to support me. My father took me on college campus tours when I was in high school. And now your audience knows a little bit that I watched a lot of financial train work growing up. So before I tell them what happened, I, I witnessed things like my father wanting to buy an automobile and asking my mother permission, she says no, and he buys the car in garage, keeps it until she's home from a trip two weeks later. Uh, my, one of my very first memories is my father asking me, can I have money from your piggy bank? And I asked him, I was about six, what do you need the money for? Cigarettes. No, dad, you can't have the money. He took it anyway. So there was this pretend permission kind of thing that happened as I was growing up. Well, after graduating from high school at 17, I was standing on a dock at a marina talking to my father. Over his shoulder was a yacht in the water at the marina. And he simply looked me in the eyes at that moment and shrugged his shoulders and said, I don't have the money to send you to college. He had after all the promises, all the support, my parents chose to buy a yacht with funds that were supposed to send me to college. It took me 32 years before I could tell that story. I, I bet, I can imagine. So that was money shame. And when I really cracked that nut open, what I realized was what held me back from being more open about that experience was worrying as a 17 year old kid who I just want to go back and hug. Yes. I was worried other people would assume I must have done something really wrong for my parents to do something like that because everybody knew I was going to go to college. But to go back to your point about what, what you were talking about before, I think, was who you were being with money. Yes. So in that moment, 
that I found out you're on your own, basically. As I stood there, my thoughts literally went to, I don't have any money. College costs a lot of money. How am I going to get money? Okay, I got to get a job and just click, 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 click. I literally walked off that doc went home and my brain just wouldn't let it up. I did not go into, I, there's no money. I'm not going. I went into, there's no money. How am I going to find the money to go? And what ended up happening for me, which is really just amazing how the universe works. I landed a job at a, at a bank. They asked me to, within a few months, they asked me to take a, um, a banking course at the local community college and said, if you pass this, we'll reimburse you for the tuition. So I said, well, what is that benefit? College tuition reimbursement. So when I was in my twenties, it took me eight years to get my degree going to school at night. And every employer that I worked for, the number one benefit I was looking for was tuition reimbursement benefits. I had no idea what reimbursement benefit, tuition reimbursement was when I was standing on that dock at the marina in July of 1985, but I knew what they were in September of 1985 because the universe just showed me, we're going to show you how to get this done. And the reason I say that, <clears throat> talk about it that way is when we know what we want, they always say, it's not important to know how it's going to happen, but to be very clear on what you want which everybody then, you know, mixes up. Oh, well, that means I don't have to take any action. No, 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 you have to take the action. But what I have found in my life is, and this goes double with money, when you're clear about what you want, you will, you, it just naturally happens that you will put yourself in a path that serendipity and coincidences will start to happen. Opportunities will start to show up. The key is, to know who you are and what you want so that your radar is tuned to those things. So you recognize them when they're showing up and saying, here you go. What do you think of this? What do you think of that? Want to go this way? Want to go that way? Hopefully that's all making sense. It, it makes so much sense because Michelle, thank you. Oh God, does it make sense? When people used to ask me how we got so how I got so many clients, or how I, you know what I mean? Or why is it, how do I get all the rich clients? And I used to say to them, one, I like rich clients better. I'm gonna be honest with you. No, they're not better people. They're not more interesting, but they have more money to pay me. Okay, so my equation, but then my intention, I, uh, that tripped me up once or twice. And when I worked with like the devil who had a lot of money, I realized I need to make my intention cleaner. But mm -hmm. no, in all, when people said, I don't understand, I said, I put myself out there to find clients. And that's how you mm -hmm. do it. I went to events. I went, I volunteered at a charity. I did all sorts of things. And I immersed myself in being able to be out there to get more clients. And then yes. my business grew. So, but showing up, and I agree with you. I used to always say to people early on in my career, I'd say to people, you know, when you're sitting on your couch in your apartment, no one's going to knock on the door and offer you a job. It does not work that way. You right. can be the best caterer, the best chef, the best food stylist in the whole world, the best writer. But how will anyone know unless you're out creating the opportunities? 
Absolutely. I, you're reminding me of my younger son played basketball for a little while. And I, I never forgot his, um, his coach at the time yelling from the sidelines to a player on the court and screamed, make yourself available. <laughs> That's what you were doing. But I think you're also talking about some forms of capital here, right? So we always think about the actual, you know, the money, the investment as a form of capital, which of course it is, right? But it's not just what you have. It's who you are being. It's who you know, and it's what you know. You know that old phrase, right? It's not what you know, it's who you know. Yes. No, it's all of it, right? Yes, you need, yes, there is a component of it takes money to make money. But there's also a component of knowing how to connect with people, knowing how to ask for what you want, knowing how to give others what they need and want because you can connect to them, right? That two-way street. And then there's that part about being, right? What, it's like the question we grew up with, who do you wanna be when you grow up? They don't even ask that question anymore. It's what do you wanna change in the world yes. when you grow up, right? I grew up with who do you wanna be? And being is also, I think, something that we have to be very intentional about. You know, if I go back to the dock on the marina, I wanted to be a college graduate. And my identity, here was the bonus I got growing up. I was told, you are smart, you're college material, um, that I was, I was groomed, that it was almost a foregone conclusion, right? I didn't take it for granted that I had to actually attend and get the coursework done. But in my mind, I was sort of a college graduate in waiting. And what I mean by that is it was not negotiable. I was not going to not go attend, getting an education. I shouldn't even say college. It really is getting an education was important to me, right? Not because my parents told me I love to learn. So it was just a perfect match. Yes. So when that happened, it didn't have the power to knock me off my identity because I already owned it. Just like at some point, I made a conscious decision that the way that my parents handled their money was not the way life was going to go for me. That was a conscious choice too. And it wasn't the defiant teenager of, oh, I'm just not going to be like them. It wasn't that. It was more, I'm writing my own script here. I'm going to figure out what this is supposed to be in my life. So I, I think that's maybe some of what you were up to too. I think you just you know, you have to, the conscious decisions, you know, I, I, I think conscious decisions and making your intentions known, Michelle, and what you were talking about, these are paths that you choose. Now, it doesn't mean that there's not going to be pit holes or you're not going to fall, you're not going to break your leg, you know, all, but as the older I've gotten, I realize this, when I hit some rough times, a lot of times I'd created those. Do you know what I mean? I was looking in the wrong direction. Yep. So then I could create, I, 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 like a sailboat. I thought I got to adjust the sails. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I have to, what do you teach in your workshops? I would love to come to one and I'll tell you why. I still trip on my own money things and I have enough money. Do you see what I'm saying? And, and, yes. I, and I mean this. I trip on it because of background, because my family, not only were we never supposed to talk about it, we were never supposed to tell anybody that we had any money. 
Okay, that was mm-hmm. the secret. Now, when my mother would wear her full-length mink coat and her brand new Cadillac with a two-carat diamond ring on, I remember thinking, that's no secret. And she'd say, ooh. I mean, but she had been so dirt poor her entire life. I mean, they killed the pet chicken to eat one night. So then when she married my father, and he was ambitious and smart, and he made a small fortune. And my mother would, she was so happy to have those signs of wealth. No, she wasn't, I don't mean it. Her whole world was us and my father, but God, she liked getting out of the basement apartment and living in that big old house with a clean, you know, with a housekeeper. She loved it. Yeah. So, yeah. And I'm glad they enjoyed their money. I'm so glad they enjoyed their money. But I still trip on, and this, I just say this to you, here's an example, and then you, I, uh, my companies always leased my car. Of course they have. So now the lease was up and I went to buy a new car. It was my 70th birthday. Now I didn't need a new car. Michelle, one tank of gas lasts me like two months now. Do you know what I mean? I, 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 I go to a volunteer situation or it helps somebody, but I'm not driving like I used to. Well, I got into the car place and I saw this beautiful new car and I bought it. And of course, mm-hmm. I bought it because I have excellent credit. My husband, I do all, I've always done these things on my own. I'm a businesswoman. I don't have to have my, you know, husband or my daddy's approval. But mm-hmm. I love the car, by the way. Love, love, love. Now, so I go to get in bed the other night. And we're just talking about something. And I said to my husband, well, you know, I didn't need to buy that new car. That was an extravagance. And he immediately said to me, what extravagance? It's a beautiful car. You wanted to buy it. You needed a car. Why? But in my mind, in my upbringing, that was an extravagance. Okay. Yes. Because it was newer and bigger and more expensive and shinier. And I don't even need a car. Yeah. <laughs> Very much, yeah. to be honest. So yeah. still buried deep inside. There was still yeah. me saying, oh, Denise, that was extravagant. Because that's what my father or mother said every day about somebody or themselves. Mm -hmm. The the roots are deep, very, very deep. And you're not the first person that has a little bit of a hard time treating herself or just enjoying her wealth, right? There is a disconnect between our status and our state of mind. It happens all the time. You can get money right on a big brushstroke, but then there's going to be these little fine tunements that just, you know, are little thorns in your side. Listen, if you, if you can afford it, right, if it's not harming anyone, if it's not harming your financial picture, that's one way to look at it. The next level, though, is learning to enjoy, right? That's a different discussion. That's not a financial discussion. That's an emotional discussion. Yes, it is. And no amount, if I, if I were showing you numbers, right? If we were at that car dealer and you were worrying about, can I afford it when you really know that you can, I wouldn't talk to you about numbers. That's not going to prove it to you. The only thing that's going to prove it to you is when you get to that place that you feel okay with something that seems extravagant, but you really got to get to that root. When uh, you're reminding me of, you know, I I trip on the uh, mental cracks in the sidewalk with money all the time too. My biggest fear is that I'm going to grow up to be a spendthrift like my parents. 
<laughs> spendthrift is a tricky little word. Yes, it right? is. When I asked my husband, what do you, what, what do you, what does the word spendthrift mean to you? He said, it means you're really thrifty when you spend your money. I said, no, I wish that's not the definition. It's the word thrift used to mean prosperity. So spendthrift means to spend your prosperity. And what I see, to go back to your original question, is there are a lot of people who are spending their prosperity. There is a, uh, there is a poverty of prosperity that ensues when you're not translating your income into wealth. And we have these notions that, oh, people inherit money, uh, they get lucky in the stock market, they hit an IPO just right. No, 95% of Americans have worked, they've saved, they've invested, and they've made their investments grow in whatever form that those investments might be. That's the majority. What I teach is how to actually look back on your own successes, because that, that little phrase, how you do one thing is how you do everything, is I'll keep it clean on your podcast. It's complete bunk. It's not true. I grew up with, as I said, two parents who were, you know, very, very successful in their lives, not in the money realm. They were a hot mess there, but they were certainly successful people. And I've met tons and tons of people who earn, I can remember one gentleman that I worked with who was earning $1.1 million a year with his stock options, he was 55 years old and he had $55,000 saved, I... right? So this happens, There's no, I don't have any judgment around this. We're not taught the social emotional component of our financial well-being. What we're taught is how to earn a living, but then not how to create the habits that are gonna stick to save that money to invest that money. Then we're not taught the biology and the psychology around why we are uh, pre-programmed to not do these things well, right? We are not very far biologically from survival mode. We feel money exactly like a life or death situation. So if someone is fully invested in the stock market and the market goes down by 25%, that may trigger someone to want to flee, to sell out. That's biology, right? So there's a lot to it. But to go back to what I call the success formula is you look back on three to five of your life successes from any part of your life, doesn't have to just be financial, but you wanna pick the successes that took time, took grit, took energy, right? They didn't happen overnight. They took, uh, they, they took your... Mm, you know, maybe a white knuckled sometimes, right? So you really look at what are the grittier ones that really mean something to you that you are able to accomplish. And then you're going to break those down. So the things I like to look at are some positive psychological components, hope, efficacy, or confidence, resilience, and optimism, right? How did those things play into you getting from point A to point B? Then something that we talked about a little earlier, what did you have? What did you know? Who did you know? And who were you being? And being usually gets mm, shortchanged in these kind of discussions. But when you start looking at those four elements, you're going to start to see some overlap in the successes that you have. 
then of course you're gonna look at your values. Mm -hmm. When it comes to money, if you know what you value, then you also will know what's standing in, way, in the way of your values, right? So education was a huge value for me. It still is, always has been. If uh, my mother wanted me to do more housework and it was gonna prevent me from getting my homework done, or was gonna, or something else came along that was gonna prevent me from going to my job to have the money to go to school. Those were non-negotiable things. Those, those other temptations or those other opportunities were not things that I was gonna do because that was gonna prevent me from achieving the bigger picture, right? So that's the part of uh, being. Then, or that's, I'm sorry, that's part of the values. So all of that wrapped up, right? When you start to pick apart your own successes, the last feature piece you're looking at is something that you alluded to. What are your resilience strategies? Because there are always bumps in the road, right? There's pleasant surprises and then there's lots of, oh, I didn't see this coming. And oh, isn't that interesting? <laughs> well, this is playing out now, right? So how did you stay grounded? How did you keep that overarching goal, that sense that you wanted of accomplishment, how did you keep it front and center so that you'd keep navigating, right? How, did you remind yourself? Did you use positive self-talk? Did you automate things? Did you delegate things? However you did it. When you've, when you've done all that, and again, it doesn't matter what realms of your life you're looking at, what you end up with is a 30,000 foot view of how you do success. And every single element that I just mentioned, from resilient strategies to positive psychological capital to values, et cetera, all of that can be mapped onto your money, all of it. And what I love about money is that there's no such thing as a prescription, nothing. There, there is no one size fits all. What's going to work for you is going to be different for me and the next person. There's no prescription out there, right? It's it's not prescriptive, it's descriptive. So you've got to get to your own root of how do you do you? How do you best operate in the world? And when you know that, you can put it on your money and you can make a lot of strides. Michelle, I cannot thank you enough. Are your workshops online? Are they private? Do you do some of them for the public? You, or mm -hmm. all, all those above? Good. All the above. So you're, uh, anyone listening, if, if you go to my website, which is michelleab.com, michelle with two L's, ab.com, on the homepage, you can download my success formula guide is a start. Okay. Then I do one-on-one -on -one conversations and I do small group coaching of eight people at a time to go through all the steps of the success formula guide. Now, I don't want to frighten you, but maybe is there a house next door to you for sale? Because I'm always, <laughs> and then I cook, Michelle. Now remember, I'm not just a freeloader. I can really cook. So I can move next door and cook. And then I was, I'm going to go next door and just ask my neighbors if they'll put it, you know, if, they, if they're ready to sell for you, that's I'm going to go ask. I got two neighbors. I'm going to go ask them both. Because I have sock money. Don't tell my husband. I always have some hidden money. And again, we can talk about that later. Honey, I cannot thank you enough. Uh, you covered so much information. And, so, and I'll tell you, so many points that might just have people 
think about it. Do you know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. I've said this to one or two friends. I said, well, maybe you need to get comfortable with money. And they looked at me like I was crazy. Like, what does that even mean? Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because either right. they're too afraid to think about it or they can't even look at it. Years ago, just years ago, my best five, five best friends in, since childhood, we have a big chill weekend every year. We go out and stuff. Now, in our 30s, so this was one weekend, I said to all of them, three of them have children, three of us don't have children, but I said, now all of you got husband life insurance, right? So if something happens, the kids still go to college, you, you don't have to move out of your house. Well, they all went back to their husbands and said, hey, Denise says we need life insurance. <laughs> and it was the most, I got emails I got texts, I got phone calls, maybe they weren't texts then, but I got phone calls from these guys saying, what the hell are you doing? What, yeah, are, you what doing? are you doing? How dare yeah. you? But you know what? Women, more than ever, and I certainly hope that younger women um, have an opportunity to really, you know, to grow with money. Mm -hmm. grow with the feelings to grow with being a success because I'm, I'm always kind of shocked, Michelle, when I meet, women much younger than me that's that aren't plugging that in do you know what i mean yes. it's a yes. it's a big deal so you're doing excellent work in the world thank you so much oh denise you're just scrumptious can we well, talk every day <laughs> yeah i was just gonna well when i move next door it'll be really easy so thank you so much. for everyone listening. We will have all Michelle's information up on our Facebook page or website like we always do. Thank you, Miss Cindy, for everything Miss Cindy does. And Michelle, I cannot thank you enough. And Julie, who sent you to us because it's thank just, it, I, I, I'm thrilled. And I learned, I have to, I'm going to take my dogs for a walk now because I have things that you just said that I need to remember. Oh, well, that's amazing. That's that's quite a compliment. Thank you. I'd love to know what, what you've learned. Send me an email. Well, we're going to meet again. And thank you so, so much. Thank All you. right. People, Women Beyond a Certain Age on uh, .com, on our Facebook page. If you want to reach out to us, it is womenbeyond at icloud.com. People send us messages and we're thrilled to hear it. Sometimes people don't want to post their question or say something because they're embarrassed and that's fine too. We, we will private message you back. I'm not really comfortable when people talk about their sex lives or send dick pics, so <laughs> we'll pass on those. <laughs> I'm kidding. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye, Michelle. Bye, Cindy. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. You guys are so much fun.